0: folks, and welcome to another edition of V-Radio. This morning I actually had a bit of what I would call writer's block because I was trying to think of what I wanted to do a show about. Uh, There were a few topics that actually had motivated me to consider getting back on the air, and I finally settled on one. Um, First I want to say my time with Occupy Flint actually was some of my favorite time as an activist. Uh, Occupy Flint... Was a very well organized effort as far as like um, everybody's needs were taken care of. Uh, They had solar power, uh, they had excellent like um, shelters that they built. I actually got to help build one. And uh, one of the you can actually go back to my archives both on my YouTube channel and my uh, blog talk radio um, with different interviews from people from Occupy Flint. And I think another one of the most refreshing parts about Occupy Flint was that it was basically a colorblind and gender-neutral camp. As in, there was no discussion about race and there was no discussion about gender because everybody was just understood to be equal. There there were no questions outside of that. And um, it was an interesting contrast as compared to some of the other camps that I would visited where the, the civil rights issues and all that were kind of being put to the forefront at the expense of what i would call true equality and unity um so all that being said um the reason i bring up my time with occupy flint is to discuss the water crisis in flint and i guess to some people you know as far as like not really necessarily understanding the global implications of why this is an important issue is that the situation in Flint is a textbook example of why privatizing critical systems like things that are necessary for survival is just not in our best interest as a species. It's not. Uh, contrary to whatever any anarcho-capitalist may tell you uh, the idea of putting any profit-driven um, entity in charge of you know, our survival is just not a rational course. And Nothing could be a better example of that, I think, than the lead poisoning now that an entire generation of children, you know, not to mention the adults who happen to live in Flint, Michigan, are now going through. Uh, basically, to give you a little background, I don't know how many of you have actually paid attention to what was going on in Michigan, uh, Governor Rick Snyder was elected um, as a moderate Republican, and then as soon as he got into office... It was pretty clear that the moderate thing was just uh, an act. And it wasn't very long until the emergency manager law was passed. And what that law basically entails is that Governor Rick Snyder can appoint private institutions to govern local cities and, you know, basically entities within the state of Michigan. And, you know, some of the things that these cities have done is they're, they're supposedly supposed to go there and balance the budget. It's supposed to be about that. But, uh, you know, like, for example, there was a a freedom festival that would go on in one of these cities, you know, every so often, and they canceled it to save money, which a lot of us found really ironic. You know, of course, one of the first things they cancel is a freedom festival. But the emergency manager law basically allows them to completely circumvent the democratic process and just appoint whoever they want. And, The local city officials, mayors, and such don't really have any real authority at that point. And uh, basically, it's an excellent way to take over things and, in in my opinion, kind of get a window into what a future would look like if corporations actually did just outright run the world. And I knew that it was going to backfire eventually, and essentially the backfire came in the tragedy that is the lead in the water in flint michigan now basically the emergency manager took over flint uh you know went in there once again under the directive of you know we're gonna lower you know we're gonna balance the budget and essentially you know operate from the perspective of trying to do whatever is cheapest um and therefore essentially the most profitable so uh The circumstances surrounded this situation, and and that's the funny thing, is is it's not the first time something like this happened, uh, and the first time it happened was not in in Michigan. It was in Washington, D.C. And I was actually looking over a uh, Huffington Post politics article about this. Over the summer, the people in Flint, Michigan, discovered they had been drinking tap water with dangerously high levels of lead, a neurotoxin that can cause miscarriages and damage children's developing brains. The state government admitted in October that its own actions had contributed to the public health emergency, and several state officials resigned in disgrace at the end of December. Local public officials have called on the federal government to intervene. In her successful mayoral bid this past fall, Karen Weaver campaigned in part of that demand. We need federal help, Weaver said in September, something she essentially repeated in December when declaring a state of emergency. In fact, the federal government has already been deeply involved. It took efforts of private citizens to expose the threat to public health as it had in Washington, D.C., when when that city had suffered a major water-lead crisis a decade ago. This experience has really shattered my trust in government, said Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha, a Flint pediatrician whose research showed a spike in lead poisoning among children after the city switched its water supply in 2014. It's not that I was naive to start with, but you'd expect that utilities, states, federal agencies would take their jobs seriously and try to protect people rather than deliberately mislead, lie, and make up excuses not to protect public health. People outside the government who were veterans of the D.C. water contamination and cover-up helped blow the whistle in Flint. Hannah Atisha became involved thanks partly to an August barbecue with two lifelong friends, one of whom had happened to have worked for the Environmental Protection Agency in Washington when the city's tap spewed lead from 2001 through 2004. They talked about then, the then-smoldering controversy over the decision to pull the city's water from the Flint River instead of buying it from Detroit system. Brown stuff was coming out of people's faucets. It tasted bad and caused rashes. The city had, been changed, had changed the water supply at the behest of emergency managers installed by Governor Rick Snyder in what was supposed to be a cost-saving move. Flint officials toasted the change, even though everyone should have known— thanks to an earlier analysis that the river water could be dangerously corrosive to city pipes. Residents could tell something had gone wrong with the tap water. It was brown. But officials poo-pooed concerns about high lead levels, just as they had in Washington. Ellen Betanzo, the former EPA official, knew a way to the truth. "'You have access to all the health records for the children of Flint,' Betanzo uh, recalled telling Hannah Atisha that night. "'I said, you've got to do this. You've got to look at your blood lead levels.'" as the director of the pediatric residency program in Hurley Medical Center in Flint, Hannah and Tisha could sidestep the government to get her hands on blood level data, uh, blood lead level data for children in Flint. It was the same kind of data that had been crucial in Washington. In 2001, a change in treatment chemicals caused unsafe amounts of lead to leach from Washington's pipes, a, um, aging pipes into the water supply. The DC Water and Sewer Authority and the EPA knew of high lead levels by 2002. But it wasn't until a bombshell Washington Post story that the public learned the full scope of the problem in January 2004. Then, two months after the Post story, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention published a calming report that said nobody had been hurt. Among the 200 residents in homes that had had excessively high water lead levels, more than 300 parts per billion, nobody's blood lead exceeded the government's quote-unquote level of concern. The CDC said, Local officials seized on the report declaring Washington's toxic tap water event a non-crisis, after all. The CDC study seemed to alter the government's very understanding of the dangers of lead in water. The local task force created to respond to the crisis said in its final report that there is scant scientific evidence to suggest a direct connection between lead in drinking water and lead absorption in the body, a statement that contradicted several previous peer-reviewed studies. Shortly after the CDC study came out, the EPA also removed warnings from some of its websites that water with lead levels above 40 parts per billion poses an imminent and substantial endangerment to the health of children and pregnant women. An EPA spokesperson later said that the agency couldn't find a scientific basis for the statement when, it's update, when it updated its websites. Today's the agency's, uh, today, the agency's top position is that no amount of lead in the water is safe. <laughs> the EPA requires a local water systems to take action when the lead in the water from 10% of tested cap levels exceeds 15 parts per billion. Lead poisoning is most commonly caused by peeling paint and lead dust in homes constructed before 1978, when the U.S. government banned lead paint for domestic applications, but experts have long known that lead in water can just be just as harmful. In children, the symptoms of lead poisoning include stunted growth, irritability, weight loss, abdominal pain, hearing loss, and cognitive dysfunction, but these symptoms might not become apparent for years, and tracing them definitely to lead is all but impossible. Most horrifyingly, kids who suffered lead poisoning can permanently lose IQ points. Mark Edwards, a civil engineering professor at Virginia Tech, had an expert on drinking water safety, um, and an expert on drinking water safety was skeptical of the CDC's claim that nobody in Washington had been hurt. He tested a theory that maybe the type of rust in city pipes didn't transmit lead as speedily. That theory didn't pan out. In 2005, Edwards, who two years later would receive a MacArthur Genius Grant, went on the offense with a series of Freedom of Information Act requests. The local and federal agencies involved in water oversight refused to provide the data on lead levels in DC's children, children's blood that underlay the CDC's claims. Using the same strategy that Hannah Atisha would later deploy in Flint, Edwards obtained the data from a local hospital. In 2009, Edwards published research finding that high level, uh, lead levels in D.C. water from 2001 through 2004 resulted in high blood levels, lead levels in hundreds, and perhaps thousands of D.C. children. Research that he published in 2013 commented, "I'm sorry," showed a spike in late-term miscarriages that correlated with the high water lead levels a decade earlier. Edwards' FOIA request revealed damning details about the CDC's report, including several emails from officials concerned that key information had been omitted. Crucially, many of the children in the sample had been drinking bottled water instead of tap um, at the time their blood was taken. Abstaining from water with high lead levels for even a short period of time results in a drop in blood lead we want to mention that many of the D.C. residents have been drinking bottled water before any of this went public? One of the reports co-authors wrote in an email shortly before the paper was published. That confounding detail was left out. Edwards' efforts paid off. The Washington Post, uh, Robert McCartney reported that Edwards had succeeded in forcing the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to admit that it had misled the public about the risk of lead in, distri- in the district's drinking water. A House subcommittee in 2010 investigated the CDC's report and produced a scathing paper of its own. It called the agency's conclusions scientifically indefensible. The CDC report flew in the face of every peer-reviewed scientific study on the effect of lead exposure that had ever been published, and they went forward knowing it was based on flawed information, said former Representative Brad Miller, who had chaired the subcommittee in an interview with the Huffington Post. The CDC didn't retract its report, but added some important asterisks, including a notice to readers explaining that the blood, levels, uh, blood lead levels did not necessarily represent what peak blood levels might have been before the problems with the D.C. water supply were recognized. It also explained that some blood data had been missing from the original analysis. In 2011, the journal Environmental Research published a continuation of the CDC's work that found that lead pipes carrying water directly to the people's houses were, in fact, a risk factor for high lead levels in Washington kids, from 2001 through 2004. Dr. Tom Frieden, who had become director of the CDC in 2009, said the following year that the original report left room for misinterpretations and may have led some people to improperly minimize concerns about lead exposure and conclude that lead in the water had never been a problem. Miller, uh, Miller, a liberal Democrat from North Carolina who has since left Congress, found the whole experience exasperating. Quote, it undermines the credibility of government agencies he said, I found articles in right-wing publications that seem to relish the stories as evidence that government can't be trusted. But last year, it happened again. One morning in August, Michael Weber was sitting at his desk browsing on the computer with his father-in-law. Everything's normal, fine, all of a sudden, I noticed a fuzzy spot. Weber, 45, told Huffington Post, and I'm like, what is that? I closed my right eye, and my vision was just gone. And I'm like, that's odd. Weber lives in a moderate-to-low-income neighborhood on the south side of Flint with his wife and two daughters. They get by on Social Security disability benefits because of spinal injuries, hers from a car accident and his from a degenerative condition. My husband said to my dad, "'How unusual. I just lost vision in one eye. I can't see out of it,' Carrie Weber recalled in an interview. Michael Weber said his doctors told him that his blood pressure had risen swiftly enough to cause an eye stroke. An ophthalmologist told him his full vision would never come back. "'An artery in my eye burst. Now we have been tracking my blood pressure, which has been steadily elevating since the switch.' To the Flint River, I'm sorry. To the Flint, Flint River as the city's water supply, Weber said they're just saying it's due to high blood pressure. However, my blood pressure normally is 140 over 80. I'm getting readings 160 over 95, 160 over 100. High blood pressure is a symptom of lead poisoning in adults. Weber said they quit drinking from their taps in June and limited bathing to twice a week. Doctor Anna Navascean, main author of a 2006 review of the scientific literature on the relationship between lead and cardiovascular disease said that available research doesn't indicate how long symptoms persif- persist after exposure stops. Blood lead levels can decline within a month, but the lead doesn't actually go away. Lead accumulates in the body and in the bones, and from there it remains as an internal source of exposure for a long time. Nevis Isian, an associate professor at John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health in Baltimore, said in an interview, Carrie Weber is, a certain, is certain the water poisoned her husband. He's not middle-aged. He's certainly not elderly, she said and we have been to 14 doctor's appointments in two weeks, and what they have found is he had an eye stroke, literally due to high blood pressure. They ruled out everything but lead. This poisoning of an entire population was entirely preventable. The city and state governments resisted tackling Flint's problem last year, even in the face of several bright red flags. In June, more than a year after the city had begun using the Flint River as its water source, an EPA official named Miguel del Toro, wrote up the preliminary results of his investigation in reports of high lead levels. The memo lamented the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality's failure to make sure the river water was treated so that it wouldn't corrode the city's pipes, many of which contain lead. Del Toro explained that the federal rules require uses of system, um, Flint's size to control for corrosion. A major concern for public health standpoint is the absence of corrosion-controlled uh, treatment in the city of Flint for mitigating lead and copper levels in the drinking water. Recent drinking water samples indicate that the presence of high lead uh, results in the drinking water, which is to be expected in a public system water system that is not providing corrosion control treatment. The lack of any mitigating treatment for lead is of serious concern for residents that live in homes with lead service lines or partial lead service lines, which are common throughout the city of Flint. That memo was not supposed to be released, but Kirk Guyett, a reporter for the American Civil Liberties Union of Michigan, obtained a copy from Lee Ann Walters, a Flint resident who had been given a copy by Teltorel after he took water samples from her house. She'd contacted the EPA because she was worried about her water and her kids. City and state officials downplayed Teltorel's report, but the EPA said it was only a draft and it wasn't supposed to be released. Brad Werfel, a spokesman for the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality, told a local reporter in July that anyone who is concerned about lead in the drinking water in Flint can relax. In August, department officials met with Flint residents, including Walters, and told them that Del Toro had been handled and that his report wouldn't be finalized. Edwards, the Virginia Tech professor, had been watching the Flint water situation since Walters sought him out for additional tests on her water, which Edwards' analysis revealed to have toxic waste levels of lead When he heard about the meeting and the dismissive tone that officials took with Walters, he got mad. I was shaking with anger because to brag, smirk, laugh at a mother with lead-poisoned kids, what kind of people would do that? Edwards said. Frankly, they're just evil, horrible people. His experience battling various levels of government over Washington's water crisis has left him so jaded that he almost sounds like a conspiracy theorist. In D.C., I had learned that you just can't trust your kids with a government agency. Now, I could go on to read this, but I think the, the main principal point that I'm trying to get at here is that despite the fact that this is also an excellent example of how the government is not a solution and I've never argued that it is in some way the best solution you know, in this, uh, Zeitgeist members, Venus Project activists, etc. agree in, with anarchists the issue is that the profit motive is what causes the problem here And in a profit-motivated situation, you are inclined or rather essentially encouraged to cover up anything that makes your product look bad. And that's exactly what you see from the cigarette industry. It's what you see from, you know, just basically any of the industries really that have just actively caused harm. And, you know, rather than handle it, you know, for the sake of humanity, that's not your motive. Your motive is to report profits to your shareholders. And that's why I would never want anything involving the profit motive ever to have anything close to, like, (laughs) control over my life or my children's lives. You know, it's not in their best interest, to be honest. And the end result of that is the damage that's been done. You know, it, it in many cases is irreversible. And that's, you know, another thing that, uh, anarchists frequently talk about is how we don't need government watchdogs and you know all that that the consumers will fix everything. But the problem is is that these this damage is not something that you can go back and fix and you can sue them, but that isn't going to give you your IQ back. <laughs> it's not going to give your children their IQ back. It, it's not going to in any way actually fix anything. You know, you and, and you're you're hoping at that point, okay, well maybe. You know, now that we've sued them, then they'll stop doing that bad thing, you know. But it doesn't mean that somebody else isn't going to do it later, which is pretty much exactly what they ran into, you know, because this isn't the first time this has happened. So Snyder's plan essentially to create emergency managers that were somehow supposed to make everything better, you know, once again comes back to the fact that they were given a directive to lower the budget at all costs. And at all costs also translates now into an entire city's population um, suffering from the following according to mayo clinic uh, information lead poisoning symptoms in children include developmental delay learning difficulties irritability loss of appetite weight loss sluggishness and fatigue abdominal pain vomiting constipation and hearing loss and this doesn't come back it, you're done That like this is a thing that they will deal with now forever and i think Even worse than all this is watching Governor Snyder do his best to try to snake his way out of the situation. Um, And actually, I'm gonna play a clip here in a moment of him being confronted by reporters and his response to that. Uh, Governor, your administration has been called everything over the last several months uh, from dithering to an obscene failure with, with your handling of this crisis. Uh, you just use the words you want to be open and honest, but yet everything that's coming out of this has to be pulled out through FOIA and, and other processes. And one of the most interesting emails came out just recently, it was from July, where your chief of staff said, people are scared, worried about the health impacts and basically getting blown off by us. What did you know and when did you know it? Well, again, we're going through that whole process. That was the point of appointing an independent group to go through the whole timeline of events. They're going to come out with a report, and I look forward to the report. And as I previously said, as they've come out with the items they put in the report, mm-hmm. we've been very prompt about taking actions in response to what they're finding for. You're not answering my question. What well, did you I answered your question. When did you know it today? So, again, we're going to do this in a comprehensive fashion, not a piecemeal fashion, and I'm going to let independent people they are doing fine work, follow through with their work. So, yeah, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that was a total non-answer on the part of Governor Rick Snyder um, in regards to this issue. And I can't really say that it surprises me too much other than the fact that he, I guess, in some way assumes he's going to get away with it. Now, as far as what action will be taken, um, that still kind of remains to be seen. But I think at the end of the day, uh, my big point about doing this particular broadcast was to discuss the fact that you cannot put profit above people and if you're in a situation where money is being exchanged you know money creates this you know you end up in a situation where to defend your money you're willing to do anything you know and this plays out over and over again in different situations whether it was the water that was being contaminated by the fracking as the documentary gasland pointed out Um, there's another documentary that's name is escaping me but it talks about the effects of uh, the coal mining that was being done and the damage like literally the coal was just ending up in the water and was killing people you know but there's a lot of money tied up in coal there's a lot of money got tied up in gasoline you know, and so then you have an effort literally you know to try to squelch this and to try to make anybody who brings it up look like a quack. Um, and at the end of the day, once again, it's all profit motive. If you create a circumstance where people have to fight for their survival and and where money is essentially this just this path to the ultimate social stratification and the ultimate security for you know your own family, then you'll defend that at all costs and and those costs include hurting other people that's why we have to evolve past this paradigm You know, people would ask you know generally as they do you know well, how does a resource based economy come into this well it's pretty damn obvious in a resource based economy the water is everybody's problem and therefore everybody's solution you it's not a a commodity that can be played with it's something that's you know required for survival and You know, when the U.N. recently ruled that water is a human right, you know, the response from, uh, I think it was the owner of Nestle, was, you know, water's not a human right, it should all be privatized. Do you want these people cleaning your damn water? You know, do you want them telling you that, you know, oh yeah, our product is safe? Do do you want to hear anybody who's ever motivated by profit, you know, and expect to really anyway believe them? You know, (laughs) so I guess... I've calmed down a little bit about this now, but the first time I I watched that video, I was really infuriated, and I remember posting, I'm going to be a bit more blunt and crude than I normally am, but I'm going to go ahead and say it now, too. You know, fuck this guy. This guy's evil. You know, he, he appointed some, you know, emergency managers that are supposed to make everything better, and their first solution was to, you know, downgrade the water supply quality in the name of cutting costs, you know, as far as monetary costs. But the actual costs are going to be experienced not by any of the the lawmakers or the bureaucrats. They're going to be experienced by the children growing up in Flint, Michigan. So that's all I got for you today, folks. Um, I want to thank you for the donations that I've gotten so far. Uh, I just ran into a situation now where, once again, I'm, I'm basically just not on the schedule anymore. So I'm looking for other employment. And uh, in the meantime, I'm going to try to put out something every day. And uh, tomorrow, it is my intention to team up with Aaron Moritz. And we're going to discuss the uh, various issues in the social justice crowd. And some of the, you know, I can't, like, say, for example, Aaron and I are not going into this agreeing on absolutely everything 100%. But I wanted to create a circumstance where we can actually have an open dialogue between people who are not going to viciously attack one another on this topic. So I look forward to seeing it. Um, If you guys would like to donate to V-Radio, there are multiple ways. Uh, One of my listeners, Barb, brought to my attention a method, actually, where you can just send money via Facebook. Um, That seemed to work, and I don't think it took out anything. Otherwise, you can still go to my V-Radio blog. And in the top right corner, there is a PayPal button. Um, the PayPal button definitely gets the money to me faster. Uh, thanks to your donations already, I was able to keep the internet on. It was about to be turned off. Um, and that was actually a blessing. I only need to put in, just to make up for the lost hours this month, I only need like a couple hundred dollars to float by. Um, and that's what I'm looking for. So but do what you can. I know a lot of you guys are also in a poverty situation yourself. And... Also, uh, give me some feedback on topics that you would like for shows. I mean, there's so much going on in the world right now. And, you know, I'm also looking into getting some more guests. I'm going to try to do that. It's just it's a little harder to do that when I'm attempting to work. So we'll see. Uh, And thanks again for tuning in.